This morning we are uh, returning to 2 Corinthians. Originally when I, I came to this passage, um, it was supposed to be the entire passage, uh, six, beginning in chapter 6, verse 11, and, and then traveling through into chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. Um, but as I, the more I pondered this passage, the way it is structured, it, it's, uh, it, it's, well, you call it an inclusio. It's a, a, a passage that has these bookends and where the heart of the exhortation is in the center. So it's kind of a sandwich kind of um, passage. And, and, um, but as I read the, the bookends, the brackets to this passage, which focus on Paul's love for the Corinthians, and then the, the uh, center part of the passage is his exhortation for them to uh, pursue holiness, to be separated from the elements of the world that would cause their faith in Jesus to be compromised. Um, I found myself really being struck. I, these two passages, the, the bookends are the kind of passage that I would normally kind of just read and skip through kind of quickly and not take much away from it. Um, but this is where just the discipline of, you know, having to write sermons, um, it forces, you know, obviously you have to slow down. You have to, to spend some time reading and pondering and thinking through. And the more I thought through this, these little, uh, th- these verses on the outside of the main passage, the more I was just very challenged and even inspired by the model of the Apostle Paul. And I found it very personally helpful, and that's why I decided, you know, I just need to focus on uh, what he uh, describes here concerning his personal affection um, towards these Corinthians. With that in mind, would you stand as we read our passage? It's 2 Corinthians 6, uh, do 11 through 13, and then I'm going to skip to chapter 7 and, and complete this passage. The Apostle Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. And then chapter 7, verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father and our God, be present among us by your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Make your word come to life within our souls. Awaken and renew within us a deep hunger for the nourishment of your word to the end that we are conformed more and more into your image and that we would bring greater glory to your great name. And so we pray this for the sake of Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So where we're going um, in these six verses is I'm just going to talk a little bit about the love that Paul has that you see kind of throughout this passage in general. And then in the um, following points, I'm going to just talk about five elements of, of, uh, of the way in which 
Paul's love is demonstrated, the way it's made manifest towards these Corinthians. So infused throughout these six verses is Paul's love for the Corinthians. You know, and and when it comes to um, the writings of the Apostle Paul, most come to expect someone who uh, is zealous in uh, their ability to challenge his readers, to exhort his readers to stand strong in the faith, a writer who loves to present gospel truths, often in a precise and doctrinal way. We are expecting Paul the lawyer, or perhaps Paul the theologian. But as we come to this passage, we see a different side of the great apostle. Here we see uh, the apostle Paul sharing his heart. He's sharing his deep affection uh, for these Corinthians. In verse 11, he expresses his affection both directly and indirectly. There he just simply says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Our heart is wide open. What he means by this is, this is a a way of uh, referring, first of all, when he uses the we, this is kind of the royal we. He's he's really thinking of himself, perhaps uh, of himself and his co-worker, Timothy, who he is uh, ministering alongside of. But the we there is is self-reverential. And what he's saying is, um, we've shared our hearts with you, our sincere love, our genuine affection. And then in in chapter 7, verse 3, he just puts this in other words. He says, you are in our hearts. And in an indirect manifestation of this heartfelt affection uh, is shown in a more subtle way. Um, In the writings of the apostle, it's not it's unusual for him to identify his readers by name. But did you notice right away in verse 11, this is, I think, the only time in the book where he does this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. He's identifying, not just in general, but very specifically, he's identifying the audience that he has specifically in mind And this is an indicator of his strong emotion, of the love, in this case, that he has uh, for the Corinthians. And then in verse 13, he speaks to them as children. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, as um, Americans, we might read that, and our immediate um, thought on that is, well, that seems kind of disrespectful. (laughs) He's, He's calling them immature, you know, children. That's not the way this was meant to be understood. What he's saying is, I'm writing to you as if you were my children. I'm writing to you because I I feel myself to be your spiritual father. And indeed, he was as the, the, the missionary pastor that helped found this church. It was central to the founding of this church in Corinth. He's saying, I'm I'm writing to you as as a parent, a father, a mother and the the love that they have uh, for their own children. And through these different uh, ways of speaking, he's communicating just in general uh, his love. And part of what makes this a remarkable show of love, and and I would say it's unexpected given what what we know about the background to this book, because this was one of the most troubled relationships that Paul had with any of the churches 
which he ministered to, in this case, which he founded. Um, this was a, a church that in the background, as you may recall, um, they, they had these kind of traveling teachers, and, and, and they, they were actually false teachers because what they were doing is they were undermining the, um, the character the reputation of Paul. They were attacking him. They were spreading rumors and insinuations and perhaps in some cases just outright lies about the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And this created um, a, a great rift in the relationship between the Apostle and this particular church. And also staying in the background to this is that by the time he reached this, so prior to this, um, again, he wrote a letter that we do not have but he describes it. It was, you know, a, a letter of kind of very harsh <laughs> language. He was trying to shake them, get their attention. And when he sends his disciple, uh, his protege, um, Titus, to uh, deliver the letter and to provide a report, Titus comes back to him and does tell him that they responded well, though there are still the problem of these false teachers and a minority that still seems opposed. But nevertheless, as a whole, the church did respond well. So all of that stands in the background of this letter and what he's writing in these verses. Well, there are at least five ways. There are more. You could probably find all kinds of different ways, but I'm just highlighting five. Five ways in which his love is shown towards these Corinthians. And the first is, is that he spoke, and I'm using the word honestly, um, you could say candidly, in a straightforward way. Um, he spoke, he, he, he delivered to them um, his heart, and he delivered uh, the truth to them. Again, this is what he means. We have spoke, spoken freely to you. Now, what he's not saying is, you know, I, I just, yeah, just kind of ran on with whatever was kind of randomly going through my heart about you. That's what I just, you know, uh, lobbed in your direction like little bombs or like I, I, I just threw out the, the bile of my heart um, upon you. That's not what he's saying when he said, I spoke freely. When he says, I spoke freely, he's saying, I delivered to you everything that God had called me to deliver to you. I deliver to you what I believe to be God's truth and to be most helpful for you. He says in first, um, just going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He delivered God's word, untampered. <laughs> he, delivered, um, uh, he delivered God's word openly, boldly to them. And this was not only true in his relationship with the Corinthians, but this was just a general um, uh, uh, core principle of his ministry philosophy. In the book of Acts, when he meets with these elders that come from the church in Ephesus, this is uh, part of what he says to them. This is Acts chapter 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's why I spoke freely. I, I gave to you 
the whole counsel of God. This continues to be the primary calling of local um, uh, pastors and teachers and, and the calling of local churches all the way through the centuries. It is a primary uh, goal here to proclaim the full counsel of God. And this we do primarily by um, bringing forth to you the word of God, which we have in the written scriptures of the Old and New Testament. We believe that God reveals himself um, to us um, accurately. He, ref- he uh, reveals himself to us with clarity, with truth. He can't reveal you know, everything exhaustively, of course. <laughs> that would fill, you know, um, that would be an infinite amount of space and words. But he, what he does reveal is all that we need to know to live a life that is faithful and pleasing to the Lord. But we also have to say this. Not only did he present the whole counsel of God, but he also spoke freely about um, his heart. He spoke about himself. He spoke about his love, his genuine concern for their spiritual condition, um, for the people and uh, for individuals and for the church as a body. It also meant that when necessary, he had to speak sharp words. And this was not contrary to his love for them. In fact, it was an, an evidence of his love, uh, that he was willing to challenge them to discipline uh, immorality in the church. And, and there's one specific case where he challenges them um, to, to excommunicate an individual who was un, uh, unrepentant in his sexual immorality. But of course, we know that the Lord disciplines, just like a, you know, a good parent, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so this too was an act of love. Well, not only was Paul's love demonstrated in his honesty toward the Corinthians, but it's also shown in his longing to be reconciled with them. Now, as I was thinking about this, um, and you can decide, maybe, you know, as a teacher, you're trying to be as accurate as possible. Maybe reconciliation is too strong at this point, but at least we can see a relationship that needs to be repaired. It's at least a relationship that needs to be strengthened. You can decide here, and this is just in verses 12 and 13. He tells them, you are not restricted by us. We have not put any roadblocks in the way of your um, uh, uh, reciprocating your love to us, is what Paul says here. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. That is their love for, uh, for him. In return, I speak as, uh, to children, widen your hearts also. And then again in uh, uh, chapter 7, make room in your hearts for us. He's clearly indicating that this is a relationship that is not where it needs to be. This is not um, a thriving relationship. This is, this is a relationship that has been wounded. This is a troubled relationship. This is a relationship even though it appears they've made progress, it needs to continue to be strengthened. And in the back of this, too, um, is, is an admission here that he's pained by this situation. He sorrows that the relationship isn't where um, it ought to be. 
This highlights how a Christian love is called to persevere as long as possible in difficult relationships, but especially in relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters. You might imagine in the apostle's relationship with this church, there would have been times where he was just tempted, you know, I've, you know, Lord, you know, I've given my heart uh, uh, for king and country. I, I've given my, my heart to this church and, and, and they've just, you know, rebuffed it. I, the temptation to write people off is a strong temptation because it uh, removes the pain. It removes the difficulty of a situation. But what Paul is modeling for us is that Christian love, in fact, uh, endures. It perseveres. And so here he's modeling what he says in 1 Corinthians 13 when he writes, love bears all things. It endures all things. And here we see this kind of uh, tangible, uh, concrete model of this. And not only does Paul show us the kind of behavior that is inconsistent with genuine love, He testifies that he did not harm or use anyone for personal gain. Chapter 7, again, the second part of verse 2. He says, and and here you can hear, we don't have the actual accusations that were made directly against him. But in this little statement, we can see a little bit of what he seems to be defending himself against. So he writes, we have not wronged, Uh, We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. Likely what, you know, if you read between the lines here, it's likely, this is exactly what he's being accused of. Accused of treating people unjustly. That's what it means to wrong, to injure or to treat people unjustly. Um, uh, He's being targeted with corrupting through his example or through his teaching of leading people astray, leading people perhaps even morally astray. And then this third thing, taking advantage. And, and this would have um, uh, uh, probably in two directions. One of the things that Paul was committed to doing was raising funds for the persecuted believers, um, specifically back in, uh, in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem. And it appears that, that part of the charges being made against him is that of, of financial malfeasance, of uh, raising funds perhaps for his own personal use. And, and Paul is strenuously rejecting um, that accusation. We, we took advantage of no one. But even more beyond that, that just points to a, a, a more general principle. And the general principle that he's saying I'm not guilty of is viewing his relationships with the Corinthians on a transactional basis, okay? This is a great temptation for us. <laughs> and what, what does that mean to view tran- uh, relationships on a transactional basis? It, it means that I'm not so much concerned about how you're doing and your well-being. I'm more concerned about thinking about how I can use you as a means of personal gain, how I can use you maybe to further my business interests, or I can use you to grow a following, or, or use you for, again, financial gain. That's, what, that's this idea of, of, of treating relationships on a transactional basis. Now, th- no, th- this is not saying when we're in need, we, we, we don't go to each other and say, hey, 
I need some help. Um, that's not what he's referring to. But it's just this general idea where rather than treating people as people made in the inch of God, deserving of our full respect and to be treated with dignity and, and to be um, appreciated and, and to uh, be concerned about their well-being, that this becomes subordinate to treating you as a means for my personal gain. And what Paul is saying is, I did not do that. I am innocent. And he even went the extra mile of not requiring any fee, no honorarium for his ministry uh, among the Corinthians. So sensitive was he about these particular accusations. He did not harm, he did not use anyone for personal gain. And this is an evidence, again, of his love. And then fourth, Paul's love was demonstrated in his loyalty to the Corinthians. Chapter 7, verse 3. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts. Then here's the key phrase. And again, this is a phrase you just kind of skip over very quickly. To die together and to live together to die together and to live together. This expression of committed, undying, never let go love, this loyalty that he expresses. Concerning this phrase, I found the words of one commentator, Colin Cruz, to be really um, both helpful and inspiring. So uh, this commentator writes, in the papyri, okay, so he's just, uh, with, as he studied these ancient documents, these ancient manuscripts, the expression, quote, to live together and to die together, unquote, is found where mutual friendship and loyalty are extolled. The idea is that those involved have a friendship that will be sustained throughout life and will keep them together even if death is involved. In his affirmation of friendship, however, Paul reverses the order. It's not to live and die, but Paul writes to die and live together. And this reflects a fundamental Christian outlook. So the normal expression of loyalty in in that ancient Greek and Roman period was to live and die together. You know, we are in it thick and thin. No matter what happens, we are for each other to the very end, and that to them was death. Paul switches that. Not only will it be in death, but in the life to come, I am loyal to you, Corinthians. Whatever comes, whatever suffering, whatever challenges, whatever persecution, we are in it together. I will be with you, not only to death, but beyond. This is the kind of love that we should be seeking to have, to maintain with one another, to die together and to live together. And this would have been a great place for the Apostle Paul to end, you know. But he he continues with this last verse of staccato phrases of love. It's kind of like the grand finale of his uh, statement of love and affection, um, which he states in no uncertain terms. But here he concludes, not only is my love for you undying, it's loyal, but it's a love that believes in all things. It believes 
in you. It believes in what God is doing in and through you, in spite of the, the track record you know, of the past. Listen to, listen to this verse, all these little staccato phrases. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride. He's like, I boast about you to others of what the Lord is doing, where he, what he is taking you from and what he is leading you to. I, I'm proud of you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. And note, he says, it's not with just, I have boldness towards you. It is great boldness, not just pride, great pride. Not only is his heart flowing, it is overflowing. And all of those um, modifiers are, are translated accurately from the Greek. This is not the English translator just kind of adding a, a little flourish. All of this is an accurate translation of the actual Greek manuscripts. In spite of the infiltration of false teachers and their slander of the Apostle Paul, in spite of all the untrue things that were being leveled at him, Paul can still see the bigger picture. He can see lots of signs of God's grace and power at work within the lives of the people. And again, I think he's also thinking about the positive report that Titus has recently brought to him. And in spite of the insinuations, the accusations made against Paul, he is filled with a healthy sense of pride. He derives comfort, even joy, in this, uh, in, uh, because of these Corinthians. In spite of everything, Paul is saying, I am your biggest cheerleader. And when you see this expression of love, commitment and faith, and you understand the context of the the troubled nature of their relationship uh, going into this, you can't help but be moved and inspired. And what I want to say is, it would be a wrong conclusion to say, oh, look what the Apostle Paul achieved. I can do that too. (laughs) We have to make a distinction. This is not the Apostle Paul just operating in the flesh. This is the Apostle Paul operating powerfully in the Spirit. This is, a, this is the, oh, the outcome of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus living, abiding, and at work in and through uh, the Apostle Paul. And what explains such love? Well, it's also not the result of just simply Paul looking at the people and saying, I have confidence in you. You can do it. Now, ultimately, the Apostle Paul is in the Lord. Elsewhere, he makes this clear when he writes, I am sure of this, that he, referring to the Lord, who began a good work in you, will bring it to to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why can he believe in them? Because his ultimate confidence is in the Lord. His ultimate confidence is in Jesus Christ, who will not let go of his sons, of his brothers and sisters. Indeed, 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I am comforted by this thought that not only is this the Apostle Paul manifesting and modeling love for us, 
but he's actually modeling the love of Christ. This is actually God's love on display for us uh, in and through the, the Apostle Paul. God is the one who comforts us, who treats us honestly with his word. Sometimes words of great comfort and grace and strength, and sometimes words that are like a scalpel that dig deep into the heart. And you're like, oh, Lord, no, <laughs> please. But your word is true. May God be true and every man a liar. He treats us honestly. And it's God who perseveres with us even when our relationship with him is troubled. He is the prodigal father who longs for the restoration of relationships with the prodigal um, son or daughter. God is the one uh, who never treats us unjustly. He never uh, uses us, but always uh, is looking and treating us with regard for our good. God is loyal. He is present with us to the very end, even beyond death. And he is the one who believes the best about us. The Lord is our biggest cheerleader. He will himself bring about our final redemption in and through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the model of the great Apostle Paul. And Lord, we do know that this kind of love is beyond us in our flesh. And we need you, Lord. We know that when we are weak, you are strong. May you be made strong in and through us, especially, Lord, give us insight and wisdom from this in those uh, uh, perhaps relationships that we have that are, are perhaps struggling or troubled. And so we pray for your help in all of this, so that it would redound uh, to your glory. And so we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.